Uh, this morning, as I've already said, my name is Tim and I'm one of the leaders here at the Vine Church Hall. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new series on 1 Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible with you, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible on your smartphone or your a physical Bible, you know, we have some Bibles at the back. Feel free to take one of those and open up the Bible to 1 Thessalonians. If you skip through the letters, if you find Colossians, you'll be on the next of 1 Thessalonians. If you've gone to 2 Thessalonians, it's the one before. Funny enough, I know what it's like sometimes. You, someone says, open up the Bible, one of the letters, and then you're trying to skip through the letters to find out which, what order those letters from Paul in. 1 Thessalonians. The theme for this series, this new series, is life, faith, and exiles. What is it to be a Christian in a post-Christian world? Being a Christian today in the UK makes you the minority. If you believe in Jesus and follow Jesus in the UK, you are the minority. Although many will say that we live in a Christian country, we are the minority. When we go to work, a Christian is often the minority. If we're speaking to neighbors or we go to a party, we are often the minority. I remember uh, I used to work in a school. Uh, it was about 10 years ago now. And I remember it was roughly this time of year. And it was this time of year because the school and many other schools were celebrating Halloween. And they asked me, uh, could you help organize the Halloween uh, preparations? They did uh, did a party, and they're doing crafts, and oh, loads of other stuff as well. And they asked me, could you help organize it? And I remember the days before, I felt so uncomfortable because they wanted me to help organize this. But I knew if I spoke up, I would stick out like a sore thumb. In another way, I would stand out in, in the crowd. But I really felt uncomfortable about doing any of this. So I went to speak to my boss, and they were more than happy to move me to another team, another place, uh, uh, because this was the very last school, and they had houses as well that um, some of the children stayed in overnight. So they moved me from house and team. They, they were great. But then when I went back to my team, and when I was with the other team, they asked me the question, we know you're a Christian, Tim, but why can't you just do this Halloween stuff? Well, what, what makes the difference? I don't know if you've been in a similar situation at work or talking to a family member or friend. That there's something that goes on that you feel that is the opposite to your Christian faith. A belief that you have and it makes you feel uncomfortable. See, we can feel like exiles in our own country. We live in a country that majority of people, the legal system, and the government doesn't believe in Jesus. But when we do go into our workplaces, when we go and pick up the kids from school, when we speak to our neighbors, we stand out because our values and belief system is different to the world because we get it from Jesus. We often find our worldview of life, values, and beliefs are a long distance away, the, the worldview, from our Christian worldview. So how do we be a Christian in the post-Christian world? How do we live out our faith 
and Christian belief and conviction in a secular society. And I believe the book of Thessalonians answers these questions. How do we live in a post-Christian world as Christians? Just to give you a bit of background about Thessal- uh, Thessalonians, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was about, uh, about 2,000 200,000 people that lived in Thessalonica at this point in time. Uh, It was a natural harbor. It was a place where ships came and go. go. So it was a place of trade and business. You know, Paul was about 160,000 people. So imagine Paul and a bit bigger. This was Thessalonica. It would have been busy. It would have been loud. It was a noisy city with lots going on all the time. Thessalonica had a well-established synagogue for the Jewish community. It was a thriving synagogue uh, for the Jewish community. Uh, But how did the first church get planted there? Well, Paul and others were in Asia Minor. They were preaching the gospel, lives were being transformed, and churches were being planted. Asia Minor includes Ephesus, Troas, if that's how you pronounce it, and other locations. But from there, Paul headed west. And this is where the um, evangelization of Europe first began. And Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy, they went to Philippi. So they landed, they they went from Asia Minor and landed in Philippi, which, you know, started with Europe hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But from Philippi, they met three people. You remember, remember it. They met the jailer, the business lady, and the evil uh, possessed lady. And they all got converted to Jesus. And this became the first church plant in Philippi. And from Philippi, uh, the church started to grow. But after two months, they were facing pressure and opposition from city officials. So Paul and Silas... They made the 100-mile trip down from Philippi to Thessalonica. And there, Paul, he went, he thought, I want to tell people about Jesus. Where should I go in Thessalonica? He thought, I'll go to the synagogue. He went to the biggest synagogue in Thessalonica. And he went for three weeks on the Saturday, on the Sabbath day. And he basically preached the, uh, preached the gospel and talked about Old Testament verses in the light of Jesus to convert the Jews. But, funny enough, the Jewish community didn't like this. So he went on to the main city and he started to preach the gospel. And he started to see fruit. And people started to get saved. And they grew in numbers. He spent about three months there and the church was starting to lots and lots of people. And, but at this time, the Jewish community did not like it. So they accused the Christians of upsetting society and opposing Caesar, who was uh, leading the Roman Empire. Some of the Christians were brought in front of the city officials, and they had no case uh, against them that forced these Christians to be let go. And Paul went on his way, and he went over. He went on his way to the next city from Thessalonica after about three months of being there. But sometime after that, he writes this letter to the church. He's been there. He's planted the church. He went from Philippi to Thessalonica. And then sometime later, 
he, went, he wrote this letter to the church, but he's experienced it. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians verse 1. This morning I'm going to speak to you upon the subject of being an example. Being an example. 1 Thessalonians 1. Greetings. Paul, Silvanus, Sil- Silvanus, Timothy, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly remember, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and our Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sakes. And verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achia. For not only... Has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia? But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not to say anything. For they themselves reporting concerning us to the kind of reception we had among you, and how you've turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 10, and lastly, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So this morning, I want to speak to you on 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, on the topic of being an example. And these three words sum up this chapter. They sum it up. If you read at the beginning, he, he, Paul starts off in 1 verse 1, he says, he says this. He says, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. Paul was an amazing man. He was a great preacher. He was a serial church planter. He was a servant of Jesus. He was tortured. He was imprisoned for the gospel. But he never worked alone. He was always part of a team. He worked with the team. And right at the beginning of this letter and many letters of Paul, he always talks about other people. Because teamwork is necessary. Teamwork is important. And he outlines that he wasn't on his own, but actually he was with a team of people. Working together is necessary. That There's a saying, a problem shared is a problem halved. And that is very much the way Paul works. In many ways, a shared load is a half load. That when we do stuff together, it makes things easier, better, and simpler. A life as a Christian is not meant to be done alone. You know, every one of us should have people that we laugh with, people that we cry with, people that we pray with, people that we share with, people that we be with. See, Paul was on a mission for the sake of the gospel, the sake of the uh, sake of the gospel, but he did it in community. 
Life and faith can sometimes be hard, but we can have each other. It sometimes can be suffering. There sometimes can be burdens, pressures, and stresses. And as a Christian, we have a community that we can lean on and live into. See, I'm reminded of a story in um, Exodus chapter 17. And it's when Moses and Joshua were in battle. And it says in verse 8 this. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites of Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some men uh, and go and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hand grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. He sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on either side so that his hands remained steady till sunset. You probably, and some of us, would have heard that story before. For them to win the battle, they, they, God said, "Your Moses, your hands have got to held up. But his hands grew tired, and um, Aaron and Hur held one of his hands up. This is a physical rep- representation of what we're meant to be doing and who we're meant to do, what we're meant to do. We are meant to work together. How do we be an example to the world and society? It's by that we're doing stuff together. It's by that we have a community of believers called the church who are doing stuff together. See, in today's secular society, people will lean towards independence. Because the belief is that if I'm independent, I am stronger. Or there's a fear that if I ask for help, I am weak. I can do this life on my own. Our example is that we need to do things together in teams and in community. Because when we do things together, our lives truly flourish. And we are, the most, we are more blessed when we do things together. And God designed, this, God designed it this way. Right in the essence of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... It's perfect harmony, perfect teamwork. God himself working together. They have different roles, but they are one together. And from that, God calls us to do this life and faith together. How should we do it? Together. And then Paul moves on. This is point number two. He moves on to say this. We give thanks to God, verse 2, Always for you, constantly mentioning you in, my, in your prayers. We give thanks to God. He gave thanks for the work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, we give thanks to God for your spiritual progress and your advancement of the gospel to the church. He's writing to them saying, we thank God for what you've done in Thessalonica. You know, you've done such good work. You've grown in your spiritual, uh, spiritual ways, and you've advanced the gospel. More people have ha- added. And he thanked God for them. 
He spent a few months with them as a church. He planted them some time apart. And now what he's hearing is great news. I want to ask you the question. When was the last time you thanked God for someone in our church? When was the last time you thanked God for that person? I thank God for that person. They're always encouraging. That person's always telling someone about Jesus. See, we might pray for someone to be healed. We might pray for some situation to change in someone's life. We might pray that that hard situation will get better. We might pray that someone will know God's peace. But when do we thank God for that person? I reckon it's hardly ever. We're so focused on thinking that situation, that situation. But Paul, he starts very on early into the letter to the church saying, I thank God for these people. They're doing so well. When you go home tonight, are you going to pray about a situation that you've heard because this person's struggling? You should be praying for that. But you should say, thank God for that person that welcomed me on a Sunday morning. Thank God for that person that, you know, said, how are you? They're so caring and so kind. I thank God that these people are part of my life. In every single person in this room is made in the image of God. Every single person in this room, every single person in the whole world. Therefore, one of the consequences that you're made in the image of God is that you have gifts and abilities from God. There is something in every single one of us that every single one of us can thank about that every single one of us. You know what I mean? Because we all have gifts and abilities from God. See, when we thank God for people, our perspective changes and our faith grows. When we thank God, not just for situations, but people, we start to say, thank you, God, that person's part of my life. Thank you, that person is, uh, is I'm working at work with that person. Thank God that person is my neighbor. Even if, you know, they're having parties all night long and got bonfires and stuff like that, I thank God that person is part of my life. Because when we start thanking God for people, organically, this leads us to start speaking positively about people. You start to find yourself saying, oh, that person's so encouraging. Because you start to thank God for that person. Our example to the world is that we are thankful people. Because we know that God has blessed us graciously. We are thankful not just for situations, but people. I wonder, are you thankful for the work colleague that sits opposite you? Or that person that keeps phoning you for help on the phone at work? It's hard, but we should be thankful. And Paul would encourage us from this, is that we should give thanks for people, not just situations. Not just situations. The third point is this. It's the word of God and our faith. Be an example through the word of God and our faith. One of the reasons, this is in verse 7 and verse 8, one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter was in response to Timothy's report of the Thessalonian church. Timothy had told Paul that they were prospering despite intense persecution. Despite everything that was going on in their lives, opposition against their belief and values in Jesus, Despite they were financially struggling, their example 
was one of faith and living out their faith. See, the thing is, we're not meant to conform to the culture of this world, but set the culture. We're not meant to follow the ways of this world, but set the ways of this world. Through the word of God and our faith. And it's extremely hard to live out our faith sometimes when we're at work, when we're talking to our neighbor, when we're at a party, or maybe even when we're at church. But we're called to stand up for what we're believing and not to just sit quietly, not just to take the back seat and just say, I'll just let it go past. I'll just boo that Halloween party or anything like that. But we're called to stand up for what we believe in and uh, the word of God and our own faith. Uh, Recently, many of us would have heard of a story of the Christian owners that owned a bakery. You know, this Christian owners got asked to make a cake with the words that say, support gay, uh, sorry, support gay marriage. Daniel and Amy, they run this baking company in Belfast. But they went against their marriage as for male and female. Did you know that if they just made the cake, none of us would have known any different? No one. It would have probably been those two and the... Uh, the gay couple. No one would have made blinked an eye. But God knew. There's a difference. God knew. But because they stood up for it, the whole country heard about it, and it's become big news. They could have, Daniel and Amy could have just easily said, let's just do it. You know, it puts 20 pounds in the pot, or whatever the cake is worth, maybe a bit more. Let's just do it, because no one's going to know any different. But God knew. They felt convicted to take a stand in this situation. And I want to challenge us. In situations in our lives, it's so easy just to sit there and let things bypass. But there's some things in life where we have to take a stand. Because God knows. God sees. And that makes a big difference. Our example to the world should be one where we're living out the word of God and our faith. And this is what the example of the Thessalonian church was like in verse 7 and verse 8. They stood up for what they believed in. They did not conform to the world. They could have easily sat down, done nothing, and got on with it. But no, they didn't. But Paul says, how do you do this? He says in verse 6, be imitators of us. Paul is Paul talking, and the Lord Jesus. Follow the ways of Jesus. Our values and beliefs, the way we should live, should follow Jesus. What does Jesus choose to do? How does he live his life? How does he treat other people? And we should follow likewise. By that, our example to others will be one from Jesus. I remember uh, just this last week, we were, um, we were, as many of you know, we went on holiday for a week to Malta. We're flying back Tuesday morning, and we get on a Ryanair plane. That's where it all goes downhill, right? Um, no offense to Ryanair, it's sad, sad. Uh, basics of everything. But the good news is it only cost us 60 quid to get there and back from Malta. You know, that's the good news, plus all the add-ons. And... Um, 
uh, with, with well, we got on the plane, and as we, we got on the back of the plane, because, you know, you go on the front and the back, we were sat near the back, we get on the back, and as we come onto the plane, there's this uh, quite vibrant lady, character-wise, she's, uh, she's, she's, um, she's, she's black, she, she, you know, you know, she has a massive loud character. She's talking really loud. She's a great person, great character. And she comes on, she sees Joel, and she's at it for Joel in terms of just wanting some attention off Joel, really. It's not the other way around. It's she wants attention off Joel. And she's like, she's even called Joel sexy. And we're like, who is this lady? <laughs> and then she said some other things that I wouldn't like to repeat either. And, and then and then she was just talking to us throughout the whole flight. She even, she even said she was going to tickle me on the flight. I'm like, who is this lady? I've never met her before. And uh, she gave me her phone number um, and everything. Um, she, yeah, it's just strange. Um, it was a very strange. But she was sitting opposite me. And she asked the whole Joel. And I said, well, probably not best. I've never met you before. So um, it was a very strange flight. But she, every, a lot of her words were just swearing after swearing after swearing. And it made me think, is like, you know, I, I've got a, you've got a six-month-old baby and a six-year-old, and I'm thinking, you know, where is your values that you swear in front of your kids? And you go to the school run, and there's people swearing in front of people. And, you know, you know I just, I, I, for me, I just, even if you're not a Christian, I just don't get it. And then I think to myself is, you know, we are meant to be a Christian stand-up and stand-out. And this is what the church in Thessalonian got, that their example was above and beyond what other people did. And I honestly think it's so easy just to sit there, do nothing, sitting in the workplace. No, but God would say to us, and Paul would urge us, don't let the things of this world just bypass us. We are meant to be the church. We are meant to be the ones that stand up for what is right. And we will soon find that we don't follow culture, but we set culture. We don't follow the ways of the world, but we set the ways of the world. Fourthly and lastly, the church in Thessalonica, they turned from their idols to God. The church, and this is verse, uh, verse 9, the church in Thessalonica, they worshipped Greek, Roman, Egyptian gods. And this was a common practice and very norm to do in those days. And you might say, well, Tim, I have got no Greek or Roman gods. I don't go home from church and get my golden calf out, or I get some rocks and start piling them up, or something like that. Uh, but I wonder if our, God, our gods and idols are there, but they're not just there as such. I wonder if our gods and idols is celebrities, Stalking that person on Instagram, money, fame, sex, even a hobby, anywhere uh, that you put something else in front of God. See, that is what an idol is. It's when you put something in front of God. If you put something in front of God, it becomes a God. In today's society, through Facebook and Twitter, and basically the whole internet, we have access to what others are doing and why they're doing it and, the, and how they're doing it. We have it instantly. And there's something inside of us that feels that we need to conform to the ways that others are doing. What is your God at this moment in time? 
I could pretty much guarantee everyone's got an idol or a god. Something they put in front of God. Something what comes, takes your time away from God. I didn't do this because I wanted to watch I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. I love that program, by the way. I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. But I didn't, because I was watching that, I didn't do this. You know, there's nothing wrong with having things to do in life or TV programs. You know, God gives us rest and enjoy things. But when it becomes above God, when you're not doing other things that you should be doing, because it's, be- and it's become an idol. There's a great passage in Matthew 23. And the disciples are arguing, what is the greatest commandment? And I can literally just imagine what's going on. One of them is saying, it's murder. That is the greatest commandment. Thou shalt not murder. Because if you murder, that is just awful. That is just like, you know, awful, 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 awful. And then another one saying, no, no, it's the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. We must keep the holy day. That is the greatest commandment. And they turn to Jesus and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to trick him. And it, well, the other people are trying to trick him. But they're trying to say, well, what is the greatest commandment? And they say, he says, well, this is it. Rolled up in one. Matthew 22, verse seven, uh, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Your soul is your every being, what makes you be. And with all your mind. Do you love God with all your heart? That it's an example to others. Do you love God with all your being, your soul, that you're an example to others? Do you love God with all your mind, that you're an example to others? See, we are called to be an example not living to the things of this world, but living to God and God alone. It is if he should have that secret place we were seeing about this morning. That is what is important. See, and this is what I would like to conclude in. The church in Thessalonica, their lifestyle was completely different from what it was before they met the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had a dramatic change. See, when we meet with Jesus, there should be an ongoing change in our lives that transforms us, that is evident to others, that we become an example. And this is what the Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 1. This is what he was writing to the church. He starts off by talking about how he's part of a team and that our example is that we work together that I have a community, a church community, that I'm in partnership was. And then he goes on to say, I thank God for the people. We should be an example by thanking God for people in our lives, in the church, in our workplaces, our neighbors. Let's thank God for people. And then he goes on to say that actually they were an example by the word of God they followed and the faith that they lived. And then lastly, he goes on to say they were an example because they turned from their idols to God. And likewise, we should be these examples to the world. We should be setting the culture. We should be setting the ways that we stand out positively for God. For God. And I think to myself, what if that person 
is the only Christian they meet that week. Some people probably go weeks without meeting Christians. How much more is that we make an example? I'm not talking about how we wave our hands up and say, Woo, I'm a Christian. Obviously not in that voice. <laughs> you know, we don't want that voice. You know, that will just freak them out. They will run a mile. You know, if they're in the shop, they'll be like, see you later. Off I go, weirdo, with a capital W. No, but what I'm talking about is that by the way we live our lives, and that's what Paul is trying to say, by the example you live your lives, we can see that you're a Christian. Do people see that you are a Christian in Jesus Christ? That we are thankful uh, for God for other people, that we do things together, that we are the ones that are living our lives by the word of God and our faith, and lastly, by turning from idols to God. Leave you this last challenging rhetorical question to think about as we respond and sing a worship song. Are you an example to others? That's it. Are you an example to others? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this uh, book, a letter that we get to the church in Thessalonica. And Lord God, I just pray, Father God, that you would help us to be a good example to others, that we would do things together like Paul did. I pray that we will thank you for other people in our lives, and I pray, Father God, that we would be an example by the word of God in our lives and the faith we live out. And lastly, that we would turn from idols to you. Father God, I pray that we would imitate you and imitate Jesus in our lives. Father, help us through your Holy Spirit to be a good example this week to the people we influence, the people we touch, the people we connect with in every area of our lives. Father God, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.